Again, we are thankful to be here this morning. Thankful for the privilege to preach this topic. But at the same time, being reminded how insufficient I am to touch this subject. How insufficient all of us are to know the reality of this subject. Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. Why? Why? There's an underlying truth, an underlying truth to all of that. If you will, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Brother Doug, he's jumped all around me yesterday and, and, and today. I just knew he was going to get in my little section here. But, and it had been all right if he had it. If it's worth preaching once, it's worth preaching over and over and over again. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So, so I'm going to begin this message with a question also, just as I did yesterday. And it's a question that may seem unrelated to the subject at hand, but I assure you that it, it is not. It is not at all. And the question is, and I'm not asking for a, a raise of hands this time, who here believes that Jesus Christ has indeed risen from the dead? Who, who here believes that the Christ of God, the anointed one of God, came and lived upon this earth, then died on a cross for our sins according to the scriptures, was buried dead in the grave, and then rose again from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures? And we would, we would say, or we should say, well, all believers believe that, right? Matter of fact, if you are not a, uh, a true believer, you are not a true believer. You are not a true Christian if you don't believe this truth by faith. Because this is the very heart of the gospel of God. This is the very heart of the gospel of grace. This is the very heart of the gospel of Christ Jesus. So let's hold on to that thought and we'll circle back around to it in a moment. The subject before us is the fifth of the five solas. Sole Deo, Deo Gloria. I can't hardly speak English, let alone Latin. <laughs> Glory to God alone. And it is not at all an exaggeration or sarcasm to say that this is a very, very deep subject for such shallow and sinful minds. Part of what makes this subject difficult is the broad and varying usage of the word glory or the glory of God in scriptures, in the scriptures. At times, the scriptures refer to the glory of God, meaning God's shining glory, His 
brightness, or his, as, as it is, is termed, his Shekinah glory. This shining glory of God is what, what the Apostle John saw and described in Revelation chapter 1, to which he reacted to by falling down as dead before the feet of the glorified Christ. This is the Shekinah glory of God. That's the same glory that Peter saw up on Mount Hermon that we spoke of, of, that we read about last night. At other times, the scriptures refer to the glory of God, meaning what is called, what is termed, his intrinsic glory. The Old Testament Hebrew word uh, kabod is a word that is, that is usually used this way, and it literally means heaviness. Heaviness. Steve Lawson describing, if you haven't ever heard any preaching from Steve Lawson, I would encourage you to hear some of that. He describing the use of this word, uh, he said that God in all of his person and attributes is a true heavyweight. He is a true heavyweight. This heaviness, this glory of God is what the prophet Isaiah saw and described in Isaiah chapter 6 as he heard the seraphim declaring, holy, 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 other, other, other is Yahweh of hosts. This intrinsic heaviness of God is his inherent glory. It is who he is. It is who he is. In scripture, we often see the phrase, the glory of his name, the glory of God's name, which usually means the glory of God's reputation, the glory of his fame, the glory of his renown. But even his physical name, his personal name, Yahweh, means, as he told Moses at the burning bush, I am that I am, or I exist as I exist. I exist past as I exist. I exist present as I exist. I exist future as I exist. In other words, we could put it like this, since just the study of that one name, four Hebrew letters. God is absolute perfection. And, and the thing is, that is not his attribute, but his intrinsic glory. He is absolute perfection. He is unchangeable, unchanging perfection. Understand, if when perfection deviates, that means it wasn't perfect. God is unchangeable because in his intrinsic glory, he is perfection. He is perfection in his being. He is perfection in his attributes. He is perfection in his way. He is perfection in his works. He is glory. He is heavy. He is Full of wonder. This is his intrinsic glory. And then sometimes the scriptures uses the word glory, glory to God, speaking of praise or ascribing fame and worship to him. Here's an excerpt of King David's song that he sang as he brought the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem, recorded for us in 1 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 23. 
He says, Sing unto Yahweh all the earth. Show forth from day to day His salvation. Declare His glory among the heathen, His marvelous works among all nations. For great is Yahweh and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols, but Yahweh made the heavens. Glory, heaviness, and honor are in His presence. Strength and gladness are in His place. Give unto Yahweh, ye kindreds of the people. Give unto Yahweh glory and strength. Give unto Yahweh the glory due His name. So when David says, sings here, give, give, give God Yahweh glory, he's not saying that this glory is something that we have that we give to God. No, he is saying ascribe it to Him. In other words, that that this glory, it is God's, and we are to believe and declare that He alone has it. He alone owns it. He alone possesses it. And he continues, bring an offering and come before Him. Worship Yahweh in the beauty of holiness, in the beauty of His otherness, in the beauty of His intrinsic glory. Fear before Him all the earth. The glory of God. So in just this brief description, we should all be able to see how deep this subject of the glory of God can be. We can quickly find ourselves over our heads. And sometimes we actually need to just find ourselves there. Over our heads. Over our heads and just bask in the wonderful weightiness of the overwhelming otherness of our glorious God. But that's not really the intent of the subject before us. The subject before us is more about how this glory, the intrinsic, even the Shekinah, and the praise, the renown of the person of God Yahweh, how He how the reality of Him impacts and directs our life and directs our living. And so to this end, we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's just read a few verses right in the middle of the chapter. Let's jump in at verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead. We would say that like, but now Christ is risen from the dead. And has become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. There's those two men. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at His coming. Then cometh the end, when He shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when He shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for He must reign till He hath put all enemies under His feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death, for He hath put all things under His feet, but when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest, it is evident that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. Speaking of God the Father. 
And when all things shall be subdued unto him, unto Christ, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that, so that, God may be all in all. So that God may be all in all. So, this little section of text is quite a section of text. There is a ton of information here, a ton of Holy Spirit-inspired information, Holy Spirit-inspired truth about the reality of now and about the reality of, of things to come in the future. But there's something else about this section of text that we all need to understand, we all need to know. It's located in seemingly a very odd context. Because chapter 15 of this letter is really the Apostle Paul going back to square one, going back to the basics with the Corinth church. I'm sure most of us are familiar with this letter and this church. And you know that this church, when Paul wrote this letter to this church, they were in trouble. They were in trouble. They were being plagued by worldliness. They were being plagued by religious pride, open immorality, idolatrous eyeism, and schism and, and division. And here in chapter 15, Paul basically says, hey, hey guys, you know what? We just need to start all over. We need to start all over. I need to remind you all again, once again, we need to go back to the basics. And so, chapter 15, verse 1 Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and which in you stand, by which you are also saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. He goes back all the way to the basics. Remember when I first came to you? Remember what I first preached to you? Remember what you first believed? All the way back. So he goes back to the basics, the gospel basics with this church. And then from there in verse 5, he hones in. It's like he backs up. And he, he goes forward and he hones in in great detail in, on one particular aspect of the gospel. The resurrection of Christ Jesus. In verses 5 through 7, he talks about the hundreds of eyewitnesses of the, res- of the risen Christ. In verses 8 through 11, he talks about how he saw the risen Christ himself and what an impact that had on his own life. And then he talks about the, re- the reality of things, the hopeless reality of things, if Christ didn't rise from the dead and if there is no resurrection. But then in our text section, in verses 20 through 28, he reaffirms again the truth that Christ has indeed risen From the dead. Did you hear me? Christ has indeed risen from the dead. We do have a a risen, ascended Savior, and because we do, what we just read in verses 20 through 28, this is the reality. But let me ask you why would Paul hone in and put so much emphasis on the resurrection here? Why? Well, because he knew 
that the great problems in this church, the church of Corinth, were a symptom of an even greater problem. The problems in Corinth were a symptoms were a symptom of Christians living like Christ Jesus had never risen from the dead. Some of them had even begun, in essence, saying that very thing by denying the reality of any resurrection. And in case any of us might miss it, Christians living like Christ never rose from the dead is not just a problem in the Corinth church. It's not just a problem in the first century church. It's a problem in churches. It's a problem in Baptist churches today as well. Because, understand something. Get this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was much more than just an amazing miracle. That's actually what Paul is really getting at here in, in this seemingly strange section of text. That notice, notice begins in verse 20 with, but now Christ has risen from the dead and then follows, he follows with this, this, this he follows this statement that, that Christ is risen from the dead with this basically timeline into eternity. He points Christ has risen from the dead and this is going to happen and this is going to happen and this is and then comes the end and this happens and this happens. This timeline in verses 24 through 28 into eternity. So, so here it is, church. Here, here it is, Christian. Know this. When Christ rose from the dead, the fact that Jesus, the Christ of God, was dead but is now alive forevermore, His resurrection means, His resurrection validates and proves all of this. You understand that? The the resurrection of Jesus Christ was not just a miraculous miracle. It was, don't get me wrong. But it was so much more than that. When he rose from the dead, it validated all of this. It proved all of this book. If Christ had not been risen from the dead, as Paul talks about in verse 19, all of us deceived ones would be of all people most to be pitied. Okay? But since Christ has risen from the dead, because we, because we do indeed have a risen Savior who is seated in the heavenlies, we can know for sure He is infallible proof that we Christians are not deceived, but that all of this is true. So Christian, who you say, I, yeah, I believe that Christ has risen from the dead. Do you also believe that all of this is true? You might say, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe it. Yeah, but do you believe it enough to live it? Like all of this is true. Everything, because Christ has risen from the dead, we can know it proves, it validates, that everything this book says about the past is true. Everything this book says about the present is true. Everything that it says about the future is true is true. Everything it says about you and me is true. And since predominantly and mainly this is the self-revelation of God Himself, everything it says about God, the triune God of glory, is true. And so, since all of this is true, Christians, what is the central truth? 
what is the central truth? Or let me ask it like this. Since Christ has risen from the dead, if we are to live in the truth and live in the power of His resurrection, live like people who really believe that Christ is risen and we have a risen, ascended Savior, then what truth will our lives be consumed by? What truth will our lives be directed at? Where is the focus of our life? Well, look at the end of verse 20, 28, sorry. You see it? Here is the ultimate truth of the entire Bible. That God may be all. God is all. So everything we've said about the glory of God previously, the Holy Spirit sums it up right here at the end of verse 28. God is all. God is everything. God himself. The person of God in his triune glory. God the Father. God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. God himself. He is ultimate. Let me show you something real quick. Flip back. Hold your spot here. We're coming right back. Flip back all the way to the beginning. Genesis 1 verse 26. Genesis 1, verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he, him. Male and female created he, them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree, and the which is the fruit of the of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat, for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life. I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So at the end of the created creative week God has made God has ordered everything and can we all see here that God is everything to his creation all those personal pronouns God is everything to his creation at the end of the creative week God is everything to his creation a matter of fact on the seventh day he will create rest for his creation. A rest that he himself is actually the personification of. So we can clearly see here, back in the beginning, that God, God Yahweh, is all. God Yahweh is everything. Okay? You see it? I hope you can see that. Well, now let's go to the other end. Let's go to the other end in Revelation 22, verse 1. Revelation 22, verse 1, and he, 
John speaking here, of course, and he showed me, showed me a, a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there was the tree of life, which bare twelve manners of fruit, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse. Why? The throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. And they shall see His face, and His name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no light there, and no need, and they need no candle, neither, neither, sorry, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. Why? For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. So now, here at the end, which is actually the new beginning, who is all? Who is really everything? God Yahweh is you see it the the triune God is as a matter of fact the only time in all of history matter of fact in all of eternity past present and future the only time that God Yahweh in his triune glory has not been all has not been everything is in the wicked rebellious idolatrous hearts and minds of sinful people that the scriptures call lost blind deceived dead in their sins and under the wrath of God So the ultimate glory of God Yahweh is that He alone is all. He alone is everything. He alone is enough. Or as the Apostle Paul put it in his letter to the Rome church, chapter 11, verse 36, For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. To which he followed with these words, I beseech you therefore, since God, Yahweh, is all, everything, and enough, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That word reasonable is an interesting Greek word. Basically, Paul is saying, since God is all, it's only logical that you give Him all of yourself. Hmm. Okay. Let's catch our breath a minute. So we've considered the various meanings of the glory of glory in the Scriptures, especially the intrinsic glory of of God. And we've seen exactly what the sum or the definition, if you will, of that intrinsic glory of God is, at the Holy, as the Holy Spirit puts it, God is all. He is all. And we know, we who believe that in the resurrection of Christ Jesus, we know this is true. We know that, that, that it is true that God is all. We know that it is true that God is everything. We know that it is true that God is enough because when Christ Jesus rose from the dead, He confirmed, validated, and proved all of God's Word to be true where we find this statement, this truth that God is all, that He is everything. So the truth is, the undeniable glory, weightiness of God Yahweh is 
that he is all, he is everything, he is enough. And so now the question is, how do we actually live and walk in this truth? How do we live and walk in the real reality of the resurrection, which is ultimately that God is all? Well, since God is all, since God is everything, since God is enough, we love Yahweh, Yahweh our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our body, all our being, all our strength. In other words, we love the Lord our God with everything and as our everything. Let me say that again. We love the Lord our God as, as everything and as our everything. I messed that up twice, didn't I? We love the Lord our God as everything. That's what he is. And as our everything. And by the way, just to make sure we all understand, this loving God is directly and inseparably connected to obeying this book. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my word. So we love the Lord our God with our everything, and as our everything, and we know the rest, right? And we love our neighbor as ourself. Actually, in our 1 Corinthian text, you can find your way back there, Paul will go on to describe this loving God with our everything and, and our neighbors as ourselves in his own life with terms like standing in jeopardy every day and I die daily. And actually, to this end, as we close, I want to give us something to ponder. I don't have time to develop it fully. So I'm just going to give you a couple of thoughts to, to take with you. I'll give you a couple of thoughts, and you go to him, and he'll fill in the rest. Got you. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 6, when Jesus talked about treasure? He told us there about, he actually warned us about gathering up the temporal things of this earth because they're all going away. And he said, instead of doing that, lay up, store up, gather your treasure in heaven. He's telling people who are living on the earth, instead of putting all of your focus on this earth and the temporal things of this earth, instead of doing that, now, while you're on the earth, lay up, store up, gather up, Treasures in heaven. Hmm. You ever wonder what he meant by that? And do you ever wonder how exactly do you do that? How exactly do you do that? I, I know that the, our first inclination is to think of gathering up things in heaven like you gather up things of earth, meaning, you know, the things on earth, you they're just automatically going to be valuable in heaven, but, but that's not true. I mean, let me say it like this. What is treasure in heaven? What is truly valuable in heaven? 
what is truly valuable to God? There's the answer to that. Whatever it is that these treasures, Jesus say, lay up in heaven, store up in heaven, it has to be that which is truly valuable to God. So what is truly valuable to God himself? We know that by the book of Revelation that this is definitely not the things that we think are valuable on this earth because the things that we so highly prize on this earth, they're going to be construction material, right? Plywood, basically. Rocks. In the New Jerusalem. So what is valuable to God? Look at verse 28. Let's read it again. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, unto Christ, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, meaning God the Father, so that, this is the reason that Christ does that, so that God may be all in all. So that God may be all in all. Listen, I I admit this is a little bit mysterious here. But I think we can see here what is ultimately valuable to Christ Jesus, can't we? In this little section of text, he is given the reign of everything. But then he willingly subjects himself, hands over that reign to God the Father, so that God the Father can be all in all. What's most valuable to Christ Jesus? What's most valuable to God? The glory of God. That's what's valuable in heaven. The glory of God. Matter of fact, Jonathan Edwards rightly concluded that the glory of God is so valuable to God himself, the glory of God is so valuable to all the persons of the triune Godhead that he is committed to his own glory above all else. And that's exactly what we see here in verse 28. And rightly so, by the way, because he is all. He is everything. If God is all and everything, as the scriptures say, and he is not committed to his own glory above all else, there's a, there's a failure there. But there is no failure with God. So what is it that is truly valuable to God and therefore true treasure in heaven? It is the glory of God and God being ascribed that glory. God being glorified and enjoyed in that glory. Let me say that again. By the way, that is the ultimate end of man. God being glorified and enjoyed. 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 In that glory. Okay, that's what, that's what treasure in heaven, it has to be, because God is all. And everything would fall short of being that treasure. Everything that is not God is all would fall short of being that treasure. Y'all with me so far? I, this ain't easy. <laughs> God ain't easy, y'all. He's wonderful. But when he said he is as far as the heavens is from the earth above us and above our thinking, he wasn't exaggerating. 
is. We got to think like God to even get close to where God is, to even, even get minutely close to where He is. All right. Since the glory of God, God being all, and God being glorified and enjoyed as all, is the treasure of heaven. Then how exactly do we pursue? How exactly do we now gather and store up this treasure now in our life and in our living now? How do we truly live for the glory of God now? What is it to truly live to do all for the glory of God? I know we think a lot of times that, you know, we just, if we use Jesus' name, you know, we say God in the, in the sentence, well, that means I'm doing it all for the glory of God. But is that really it? I would dare say that a lot of things that we say we're doing for the glory of God, we're doing it for the glory of I. Because I is really our God. So, how do we pursue? How do we gather? How, what, what does this look like? Well, I think there can only be one answer. And it's this. We pursue and gather and store up treasures, glory for God in heaven, by investing our lives, by living our entire lives for not temporal earthly things, but investing our lives, living our entire lives for the souls of men, women, boys, and girls. And we do this by living today, we do this today by living and speaking in such a Christ-centered, gospel-centered way that God uses us, that God uses Christ in us to save souls. We, we, we gather, we store up treasure in heaven when God uses us to save souls who will then enter into His presence where we and them together will give glory to Him. We will together glorify Him and enjoy Him as the all and everything He is forevermore. I don't know, that's the only way you can store up. If, if glory is the treasure of heaven, God's glory, then how can that be multiplied? It has to be in the souls of people. It has to be. So how are we living our lives? What is the speech of our lives? And let me just warn you, because there's so much stuff flying around. People talking about testimony. Give, you know, I, I see, I'm going over here to give my testimony. I'm going over here to give my testimony. I'm, I don't want to be too rough, but let me just say it like this. People don't need to hear about you. They need to hear the gospel. How Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. Laid dead in the grave and, and on the third day rose from the dead according to the scriptures. That, not your testimony, that is the power of God unto salvation to them that believe. The gospel. We need to be willing and able to give a clear declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's how he saves souls and that's how treasure is gathered in heaven. That's how his glory, which, don't get me wrong, 
when we hear the word treasure, all we can, you know, gold and dollar signs, it's not about us. Christians, we got to get over us. And we got to realize and live the true reality that God Himself, He is everything. And so what gives us the joy of our heart is when other people come to the, the saving knowledge that God is everything. And then they are willing to go out and tell other people that God is everything and the glory of God is multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. And some might think, and you know, if we're looking with our eyes, we say, well, God's not saving people like that anymore. Yes, He is. Yes, He is. There, if, he, if He was done saving the people on earth, we wouldn't be here anymore, Christians. He's still doing it. We need to trust Him, trust His plan, trust His ability, trust His promises that when He says the gospel, that sinners are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and that gospel, that message is the message that He uses. It's His dynamite to blow the sinner's life apart so that they will be drawn to Him. We've got to believe that. And trust Him in that. And get in the business. Get in His business of doing what He's commanded us to do. Go to every creature and declare the gospel to them. Make disciples of them. He's everything. Are we living with Him as our everything? The everything that He is. So saints, I asked if you believe that Christ has risen from the dead. And if, if, you, if you do, if you are truly Christian, then you know all of this is true. You know this book is true. And you know then that, because the book declares it, that God Himself, He is all. He is everything. And that being the truth, saints... Live like it. Live like it. Live like it towards Him. Live like it towards Him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, body, being, all your everything. He's worthy of that. Loving with everything. Live like it. Live like He is everything towards Him. And live like He is everything towards them, church members. Live like He is everything towards others outside of this congregation. Live like He is everything for the glory of God alone. Now and forevermore.